Go open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 12. I'll start with the promise that God made to Abraham. In Genesis chapter 12, the Lord had said to Abram, verse number 1, Get out of your country, from your family and from your father's house, to a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse him who curses you, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Abram, you need to leave home, and you need to go to a land that I will show you. Tonight, there are some differences than other Sunday nights, no doubt about it. We're going to look at some pictures, and I'm going to try to explain some things that my family and I were privileged to see. But in a great sense, this Sunday night is no different than any other Sunday night in what we're striving to accomplish as we magnify the name of God. We're here to worship God. That's our purpose, and that is our purpose tonight. I'm not here to entertain you. I'm not here to uh, try to show you my family and, and things that we were able to do. I want to magnify God through experience that we were able to have. I don't have a deeper relationship with God than you do because I went to Israel. You're not going to have a deeper relationship with God if you don't get to go. We went, and there's a few things that we saw, and I'm here tonight to show you some of those things, and uh, there'll be some moments of levity, but ultimately, I want to be reminded of the greatness of God, and I hope that you'll see that in these pictures tonight. Julie and I and the boys went. We left uh, October the 31st, uh, Monday we got up and we flew out of Dallas and we flew to Newark, New Jersey. And from Newark, New Jersey, Monday afternoon, we flew to Tel Aviv. We got to Tel Aviv, uh, the capital of Israel, right on the Mediterranean Sea. If you want to have a map open on your lap, maybe that will help you tonight. But uh, we flew into Tel Aviv and from there, we started our journey. Now, we were jet lagged. Right, I'm just going to tell you, these first few pictures, maybe you can see some tired eyes. We definitely had them. But... It's crazy to think about that we got off of that airplane, and it was Tuesday morning. It was about 8 o'clock Tuesday morning, Tel Aviv time, and we started our day. We only had nine days in Israel, and so you got to hit the ground running. And so the first stop, when we left Tel Aviv, we drove about an hour. We drove over to Beersheba. Now, before I get to the next slide, I want to just put in a little plug here for Bible Land Passages. I'm not going to be able to tell you everything I want to tell you tonight, all right? But you can go to BibleLandPassages.org, and you can find a lot of information. They have a lot of videos available on the World Video Bible School site. You can go to WVBS.org. You'll find a lot of things there. If you want to take a trip to Israel, I highly recommend Bible Land Passages, John and Carla Moore. Logistically, everything was set up. I mean, we, you pay your fee, and there was no hidden, nothing hidden. We went over there. Everything was taken care of. It was a wonderful way to travel. All right, so a little plug for Bible and passages. Tuesday morning, we arrived. These are the boys. Welcome to Israel. <laughs> it's still, it's like, what? Yes, welcome to Israel. So the first stop is Beersheba, and you can kind of see that on that sign there, welcome to Beersheba. A lot of different languages are going to be represented on signs there. Let me just remind you, you know this, but I'm reminding you, Beersheba. Beersheba was given its name in Genesis chapter 21 by Abraham. You're in a city that Abraham named, 
All right, so you just let that soak in when you get there. Wow, so Abraham was there, Isaac was there, Jacob was there. And what you need to know about Israel is it is it's one of those things where we, we started saying, this is the land flowing with milk and honey. This is the land flowing with milk and honey. It is dry as a bone. It's dry. It's a lot of places desolate. And yet, like West Texas, has a beauty all of its own. Okay? So uh, the weather reminded us a lot of home, a lot of dry air. Uh, Beersheba gets about three inches annually of rain. And so water is a commodity. Well, in Beersheba, you have two underground aquifers that run together. And so if you dig down deep enough, you're going to find water in Beersheba. And so the name Beersheba is literally land of seven wells. All right, This is where Abraham made a deal with Abimelech, and Isaac and Jacob are going to do the same thing. And so we went into this city. Um, America has no history, it turns out. We are so new, right? We are in ancient lands over there, ancient lands. Modern-day Tel Aviv is about three miles uh, to the east of the old town of Beersheba. I'll just show you this little diagram so you can kind of get a picture of it, uh, of what it might have looked like with walls around it. It does not look that way today. There is a well right outside of Beersheba, though. Right outside the, the city wall, there is a well I don't believe that that well was dug by Abraham. I don't believe Isaac or Jacob drank from that particular well, but there is a well there. So there are the boys looking down into the well, and you can get up close, and you can look down, and you can see water. You can't see it very well in the picture, but you can see water in the bottom of that particular well. This is what it looks like today. All right, archaeologists have gone in, they've dug around, they've dug down deep enough, and they have found some things that resemble what the town was. For example, here you have some storerooms, they think. So this would have been higher walls, probably a roof over the top of it, and this would have been a storehouse. Beersheba lies on a major trade route. And so you had a major city there in its day where people would have come to get supplies, to shop, to shop for things, and uh, to spend a lot of time. And so here's Beersheba. Another point of interest about Beersheba Again, going to Genesis uh, chapters 20 and 21, you will find that Hagar was there, and uh, Abraham had to let Hagar and Ishmael go, remember? And they go out into the wilderness of Beersheba, and Hagar thinks that's it, right? They're going to die. She goes, I'm going to leave the boy over there so I can go over there so I don't have to watch him die. That's it. The angel of God comes down, tells her that that boy is going to grow up, and she finds a well. At Beersheba. All right? This is where we were. This is what was going on. This is, uh, water is everything. Everything in Israel. That is their greatest resource, their commodity. They've got to find it because they don't get much. And so when it does fall, they have to have a way of keeping it. You have to survive. And so this is not anybody in our group, but I wanted to show you that this, these steps go down into this very deep cistern. Listen, friends, one of the things that I was very impressed by was the engineering. The engineering of these people. We look back and say, well, they couldn't have been very smart. Look at us. Look at what we can do. Well, look what they did with nothing compared to what we have today. 
they dug this deep hole so they could hold water. And when you go down those steps and into that tunnel, there are actual tunnels where you can stand. Now, here's a picture of our group on those steps. Let me just say this, and I'll talk more about this in just a minute, but 31, 31 was the number of our group. Members of the church from all over the United States. It was funny because when we got to, tell, got to Newark, that was the rendezvous point, we all get to the gate and we have lanyards, Bible and passages, so we know that we're all in this group together. But there are all these other people getting on the same airplane, and we're all going over to Israel, and we don't know each other. I mean, who are you? Where are you from? I don't know anything about you. They don't know anything about me. But by the time we left two weeks later, we were family. It's amazing. And uh, so when we took that picture, we were all blurry-eyed and tired, and we'd just been on an airplane for several hours, and we didn't know each other when we took that picture. But... uh, those people became my friends. Those are family members now. And that's us standing on that, on that uh, stairwell. Here are the boys down underneath now. We've gone down those steps, and here are this tunnel where water is going to flow. You see how big that tunnel is? Isn't that amazing? The boys could stand up. You know how tall the boys are getting? The boys are standing up in this tunnel. And so somebody dug that. Somebody put that there. Those arches are there for water. Their most valuable resource. All right, so Beersheba, very interesting place. Now, if you have your map, we're going to leave Beersheba, and we're going to go to the Dead Sea. This was fascinating. All right, you're going to hear me say that a lot about everywhere we went, but this was incredible. So that cutout there that you see in the forefront of this picture is the shape of the Dead Sea, right? You can see that. So we find ourselves uh, down, I think I've got a pointer Right, right in this area. This is where we're standing as this picture is taken. And the Dead Sea is right out here. Now, the Dead Sea, if you look at a map, the map will tell you, tell you that the Jordan River flows into the Dead Sea. Not anymore. It doesn't make it. There's too much water being pulled out of the Jordan River for irrigation. And so the Jordan River doesn't make it to the Dead Sea. The Dead Sea is drying up. I don't know how much longer it's going to last But you can tell where it used to be, and it's just shrinking every year. It's just drying up. So I suppose there was a time when it would have been out in here, but now you can barely even tell, but the Dead Sea is back in this area. I'm going to zoom in a little bit closer, and you're going to see a little bit of water right here. This is the Dead Sea. But what I want you to see are these mountains back here. I never thought about it, but these are the mountains of Moab. These are the mountains of Moab. That, today, is modern-day Jordan, the country of Jordan. So you can't go over there. We didn't go over there. But these are the mountains of Moab. It would have been these mountains, perhaps, that Lot and his family, his daughters, would have run to when Sodom and Gomorrah were being destroyed. It would have been these mountains. You go up the Dead Sea a little bit further, and you'll find Mount Nebo. Mount Nebo, that's where Moses is going to see into the Promised Land. This, my friends, is the lowest point on the face of planet Earth, the Dead Sea, 1,300 feet below sea level. There is no way to escape it. Now, you are down in a hole, but I never thought about the mountains that were around it, and the pictures don't do it justice. Those are big mountains, 
uh, on that side of the Dead Sea. And a lot of the landscape is just, again, dry as a bone. You get two inches annually of rain at the Dead Sea. So it's dry. It's dry as dry can be uh, down in that area. And so that's what you find. So again, I'm not trying to glorify our family, but we were there. And that's the Dead Sea there behind us. And so you ask the question, well, did you get in it? Did you get in the Dead Sea? And yes, we got in it. Here are the boys and their fancy feet um, standing on the beaches of the Dead Sea. But I just want you to see the salt deposits there on the beach. It's not glamorous. You're not going there on vacation, probably, uh, unless it's something therapeutic, which a lot of people do for therapy, they feel, uh, in the salt water. But these deposits are just everywhere, everywhere along the beach. And so then we, we got out in it. We are not in deep water. We're in very shallow water. And underneath the water are these salt deposits that are very hard, very coarse. And you did not want to walk on that with bare feet. I mean, it would cut the bottom of your feet. It was so hard and coarse under there. Uh, I believe I've got this right. They say the ocean is 6% salt. So you've been to the ocean, you've felt the water, and you know the saltiness of the ocean. The Dead Sea is 33% salt, 33% concentrated. I, I, you know, you, you want to lick your finger. I was so sad, so sorry that I did. It's so terrible, right? It is so bad. But uh, when you get in the water, there's such this uh, sensation, Julie was in too, and there's such this sensation, you're in very shallow water, but as soon as you sit down, you just can't help it. All of a sudden, you're floating. You can't walk on the salt water, but you can, when you, once you're in it, you, you can't help it. You're going to float. And the weirdest part is getting out of the water. You go swimming, you want to get out of the water, you just stand up, right? When you're in the salt water like that, you have to actually kind of talk to yourself like, okay, foot, let's go down. And, and like force yourself to get up. It's the weirdest sensation I've ever had in water. Uh, it was cool. All right, it was really, really cool. I hope it doesn't go away, and other people can experience it too. But uh, but it was neat. Okay, again, here neither here nor there. But what do you eat in Israel? <laughs> amazingly, I mean, amazingly, but it's different. For example, we stayed in a lot of places. You're going to stay are run by Jews. Imagine that you're in Israel. So a lot of these places are run by Jews, and so their kitchen is kosher. And they have a belief that it goes back to boiling a kid in his mother's milk. And, and they feel that you can't uh, combine meat and dairy. And so these are desserts. This was all dessert right here that I'm staring at. All soy. All soy based. Are they good? Amazing. <laughs> yes. Every single one of them. They were so good. There's a buffet of salads. And this is the first hotel that we came to. Uh, here's a long buffet of all kinds of different food. Uh, we tried a little bit of everything, and the boys didn't appreciate it as much as Julie and I did, but the boys did appreciate the bread. And there was bread for every meal, but there's no dairy, so there's no butter. Kind of a downer. You could have butter at breakfast because there's no meat, but no butter at supper. Okay, so some of the group got smart, got butter at breakfast, put it in their pocket, used it at supper. I wasn't that smart, but, um, but that's what it was. All right, so here's the next morning, uh, beautiful sunrise over the Dead Sea. 
And that, I thought that was just a neat picture of our, uh, where we were staying, uh, overlooking the Dead Sea that morning. Now, we're on to a different stop. This is something you need to look at. You need to research this for yourself. And World Video Bible School has a great video on Masada. This is Masada. Masada, I hadn't really studied before. I hadn't really thought about it. The Bible talks about the stronghold. David went up to the stronghold. Possibly, possibly, he's referencing Masada. Masada was a great fortress out in the wilderness. I mean, there's nothing around it. And there was this great fortress that was built up on top of this great hill. That hill is 1,500 feet high. It is way up there. This is a big, big hill. So you have this uh, cable car, conveniently, which will carry you to the top. And so we did that. Now, if you look very carefully, there's a path that winds right up here. They call it the snake path, and you can get up there to the top. Before they put in that fancy cable car, that was the only way to the top. And I can tell you that there are certain points in that path as you're going up on the convenient cable car, you look down and it looks as if you have to be single file. There aren't a lot of, uh, there's not a lot of wiggle room as you're going up that snake path. I'll tell you more about that, why it's important in just a moment. From Masada, getting closer to the top now, you're looking back over the Dead Sea. Okay, so we're still right there in the vicinity, very close to the Dead Sea. You go on top of Masada, and you, you can see the remnants of this mighty fortress. And there were people that lived up there on the top of this hill in the middle of the desert and wilderness. And they survived up there. And they have dwelling places that, that are being excavated. And you continue to see this. You need to look into this because this is really interesting. Masada. All right? This is our... Uh, I haven't introduced him yet. This is Sfika. Shvika is our Israeli tour guide. Shvika met us at the airport with John and Carla. And Shvika was with us the whole time until we left Israel. He was a very, very interesting and golly, he was full of knowledge. It was incredible, everything that he knew. I want you to see this diagram, though, this structure that was built. This Herod the Great had built on the side of this mound of Masada. He had this palace built for himself on the side of this great mountain, okay? And so you see he's got three stories of, of a palace, of his own personal palace here on the side of Masada. And so I guess if he wanted to get away, he would go down south. He's got a view, a room with a view. Uh, it's not great, but you're overlooking the Dead Sea, and so it's pretty spectacular. Some remnants of that palace are still cut into the rock on the side of that mountain. They said this was possibly uh, his own private swimming pool um, where he could walk down steps and get into his own pool. Pretty interesting, right? Pretty cool to think about Herod the Great being there in this great fortress. Well, the story is, and I'll give you the very, very, very condensed Shorter reader than Reader's Digest version. AD 70, Jerusalem is destroyed. There are some people who get away and they run to Masada. All right, they're going to leave Jerusalem and they're going to run and they're going to make it to Masada. 
about a thousand people make it to Masada, and, uh, and they, they are living up there, and they survive up there for about three years, all right? The Romans are going to come, and they're going to break through. I'm going to give you this story, and I want you to think about it. Now, as we're up there, this, I, I only tell you this because I want you to see that there's a wall all the way around Masada, okay? So I want you to see that, and I'm going to come back to it in just a second. Interesting, though, up here in Masada, there was this room. You kind of see people are forming a line. I mean, people are standing around, sitting around, but there's a line that's forming right here going into this room. Inside that room, there was this scribe who was sitting there actually writing Scripture. All right, That's his job. He goes there every day. He sits here in his little glass room, and he writes Scripture. He is a living scribe, and that's what he does. And so uh, the boys are standing, there's Evan, and here's Alan, and they're up there, and he asks them, what is your name? And they tell him, and he wrote their names for them. This scribe up at Masada, uh, you've got Evan and Alan, and then he wrote a heart underneath them. And so it was just <laughs> pretty cool, right? So, uh, so this scribe up there at Masada did that. Now, back to my story. You see this square right here? The Romans were ruthless. I'm telling you, they were ruthless. You got a thousand people who escaped Jerusalem. What's the big deal? They went all the way down to Masada. Let's just let them be. They're, they're not going to bother us now. No, Rome didn't think like that. Rome was, we're going to utterly destroy you. We are going to wipe you out. You think you can get away? We'll show you different. So the Romans end up chasing these people down to Masada. That square represents one of the Roman encampments, all right? I told you there's only one way up that hill, and it's a snake path. And so it's very easy to pick off the enemy. You can just be up there on top, and you can strike them down all day long. They can't, they can't get to you because they can only get up there one at a time. And so it was easy to defend. So Rome thinks, okay, I'll tell you what, we'll, uh, we'll wait you out. And so they encamped. There's one, and in this next picture, here's a bigger Roman encampment, and there's, a, there's another one uh, right around, I don't see it in this picture, but there were three or four of these Roman encampments where you can tell they actually were there, and that's where they encamped about 10,000 Roman soldiers to get those people up there on Masada. They're not going to let them off. So how do you do it? Well, we can't use the snake path because we can't get enough people up there. So they built... This rampart, this ramp, they started piling up rocks and stones and whatever they could use, and they started building a ramp up the backside of Masada. Who do you think built that ramp? Jewish prisoners. Well, why didn't they, why didn't they fight off the people that were building the ramp? Because it was their brothers and sisters. It was their family. They were Jews, and so they didn't fight. They let them build that ramp, and they came all the way to the top, and finally they got a battering ram up there after setting some gates on fire and the whole thing you can read about. But Rome finally was going to break through. And so those thousand rebels uh, up there, those zealots who are up there on Masada, they said, we are not going to be enslaved. We are not going to let Rome take us. And so... This is what they did. They got the heads of the families together 
And they said, men, you're going to kill your family. You're going to kill your wives and you're going to kill your children. And then we're going to, we're going to whittle that number down. Then we're going to start killing each other until there were 10 guys left. And those 10 men drew, they, they actually found uh, parts of, of potsherd with names. And it was as if they drew lots. And, and they were going to kill each other until the final guy was going to kill himself. And they said, when those Romans bust through, all they're going to find is dead bodies. We're not going to give them the pleasure. All this happened at Masada. And two women survived to tell that story to Josephus. That's how we know about it. Two women were found hiding. They later were killed by Rome. But that's what we find take place at Masada. How do you survive three years in a desert with no water? Well, you better be ingenuitive. And they were. So they built cisterns and they carved uh, channels like this one into the side of the mountain so that water would run down when it rained into very large cisterns like this one. We walked into this place and I'm telling you, it's ginormous. And so they had all this water that was stored and they could live up there for a long, long time because they had a way of catching all the water. All right? It was impressive, incredible, one of our favorite stops of the whole trip. From Masada, though, we went to Qumran. I'm getting to some things in here in just a minute. I just I have to tell you a couple of things, okay? So in Qumran, this is a place where scribes would have lived, scribes and, and translated. And you're going to know something about Qumran, and you may not even know it yet. But they found remnants of where they lived. I'm telling you, it's desolate as it can be. This is the landscape. But if you look closely, and I can show you some pictures later, there are little cutouts in the sides of these hills, little caves. What do you find at Qumran? The Dead Sea Scrolls. From Qumran, you can see the Dead Sea. What's so special about those scrolls anyway? Let me just tell you that up until the 1947, when the Dead Sea Scrolls were found, the oldest manuscripts we had of the Old Testament were from around 1,000 A.D. The Dead Sea Scrolls went back 1,000 B.C. Why do I have so much confidence in this book right here? Why do I have so much confidence that this really is the Word of God? You know, critics say, well, it's been altered. It's been tampered with. There's no way you can have what, you, what, what was really original. The Dead Sea Scrolls proved that what we have really was what we had even a thousand years before Christ. Qumran, you're going to recognize that cave right there. Eleven caves were found with a hundred thousand manuscripts. Not all of Scripture, but they found bits and pieces of all of, of the Bible except the book of Esther. And they took the book of Isaiah, which had the largest uh, manuscript, and they compared it to what, what was already we had, and it lined up 95%. The 5% were just little variations, little uh, miss the dotting of the I, crossing of the T, little words here or there. 95% of it was just exactly the way we found it. Qumran was interesting, okay? You can study that for yourself as well. From Qumran, we went to this place called Bethabara. Bethabara. Bethabara is the proposed baptism site of Jesus. Now, you have your picture in your mind. Go ahead and get it. 
your picture of the Jordan River. Get your picture in your mind of the Jordan River, of what that would have looked like, perhaps, when Jesus was baptized in the Jordan River by John. Now, you have your picture of the Jordan River. I had my picture of the Jordan River. Does that look anything like what you thought? Shavika said, you probably have in your mind something like the mighty Mississippi. He said, this is more like the Jordan drizzle. The Jordan drizzle. We are looking across the Jordan River into the country of Jordan. All right, this is the boundary between Israel and Jordan. And I don't know. I don't know if that's the spot that Jesus was baptized. I have no idea. But there are a lot of people treating it as if it were. Right? A lot of people going down into the water. A lot of baptismal services were taking place and do take place every single day. Julie and the boys dipped their toe in the Jordan River. I decided I didn't need to or want to, but uh, it's filthy. It's just a dirty river. I think no wonder Naaman wanted to go somewhere else, right? Uh, but that is, that's the Jordan River. That's a proposed side of the baptism of Jesus. That's where Elisha and Elijah crossed over uh, on dry land, crossed over uh, that, that river. I don't know if it was right there, but they crossed over that river. And I know that that river backed up and the children of Israel walked across on dry land when they entered into the promised land. They crossed that river. The Bible speaks loud and clear, and it's amazing to think about. Okay, so that's the Jordan River. Uh, again, upstream from where we are. We're not far from the Dead Sea here. I told you the, De- the Jordan River doesn't make it to the Dead Sea. There's a lot of agriculture, a lot of people pulling water off of it. And so it's not that big. We went to the city of Jericho. Now here's another one. You've got your picture of the city of Jericho in your mind. I guarantee your picture is better than what it is. Uh, The city of Jericho lies within Palestinian territory. There's a difference between, as you know, the Palestinians and the Israelis. The Israelis have their history, and it's all important, very important to them. And so they're excavating, and they're looking, and they're digging, and they're trying to find more and more. The Palestinians, they don't seem as interested. And so going into Palestinian territory here, it, wasn't, it just wasn't great. This was in a, kind of off of a neighborhood that was dirty, and it, was just, it just lacked what you were wanting it to be. It is what it is, though. You know what? The Bible said, you're not going to build on that again, and it hasn't been built on again. And we're standing there within what would have been the walled city of Jericho. Amazing to think about. I took this picture just to give you some perspective, although it doesn't do it justice. But you're about four miles from the Jordan River. So this is the Jordan River Valley, all right, right over in this area. And so if you're Rahab and you're up on a wall and you're looking out over into the Jordan River Valley you would have seen, I I think she could have seen that water backing up and flooding that valley and would have seen uh, what could have been several hundred thousand people at least walking over into that land. You could see it from Jericho. No wonder her heart melted within her. No wonder she wanted to serve God because she could have seen that. All right, I'm going to end tonight in Jericho. I'm sorry. Jerusalem. We traveled that road from Jericho to Jerusalem, and it is 
a climb. You've been on the lowest point of the face of the earth, 1,300 miles below sea level, and now you're going uphill to the city of Jerusalem. Let me give you a picture of the city of Jerusalem for you to think about. Here is, maybe, modern-day Jerusalem. This was at night. We arrived just at sunset. And here is modern-day Jerusalem. You see the cranes up on top of the buildings? Right? This is a modern city. But you'll notice something interesting. All of those buildings, they all look the same to you? That's because they all look the same. They all look the same. After World War II, was it, uh, where, uh, where Britain came in and overtook, and they, they had Israel under their control for a little while, there was one of the commanders of the British army. They didn't hold on to Israel very long. They gave it over to the UN. But this British commander was like, this Jerusalem stone, it's limestone. This Jerusalem stone is so beautiful, I propose that every building in Jerusalem be made only of Jerusalem stone. And so it is. They all look exactly the same. You don't have different color houses. You all, I'm sure inside they look different, but on the outside, they all look the same. And it, it really has a beauty all of its own. But I'm telling you, it's a modern city. So you go to, go to Israel and you enter into Jerusalem. And, and what are you looking for? You're looking for uh, dirt roads and, and you're looking for uh, walls and you're, you're looking for people riding donkeys and, you know, you're looking for Bible times. No. No, you're not going to find it, okay? It's simply not there. But there are some interesting things. Uh, back to food. Here's our hotel in Jerusalem. We stayed there three nights, four nights maybe. And uh, here's dessert, soy, in, uh, in Jerusalem. The boys were so happy with their desserts, and we ate way, way too much. You know, we walked nearly 90 miles in 12 days. Uh, we walked a lot, but I came back. I think I weighed more than when I left. And you know why? This this is why, okay? It was too good. We ate it all. Um, I'm going to say this in passing. There's a name down here by this tree. Schindler. We went to Yad Vashem. They, uh, they actually kind of require it if you're there on a tour. This isn't John and Carla. This is Shvika and, and the others who are part of these touring companies, they, they nearly require it that you go to the Holocaust Museum. You can't take pictures in the Holocaust Museum, and so I'm not going to show you any, but they have this row of trees inside the museum. Outside the museum, you can. And they had this row of trees, and this row of trees was for Gentiles who had a hand in helping Jews during the Holocaust. Schindler. All right, this is Schindler's tree. Schindler didn't do the most. By far, he didn't do the most, but he's the most famous because of the movie. And so this was Schindler's Tree. I will say this, last thing, last picture of, uh, of Yad Vashem, the Holocaust Museum. They had one area that was just dedicated to the children. A million Jewish children died in the Holocaust. A million. To Jews, you represent a soul with a candle. And so they were thinking how we can't light a million candles and we can't keep them lit every day. So what are we going to do? I don't have a picture to show you, but you walked in this. You talk about an emotional walk in, emotional walkthrough, especially as a parent. You walk into this children's museum and they have five candles, five lined up and it's dark. It's a darkened room when you walk in and it's full of mirrors 
And so you look and you just keep looking. You can just see candlelight as far as you look in any direction. And they had the names of every child and where they were from. And they read them and they keep it going. They're just repetitive. And it takes three months before it repeats again, before it starts over. Three months to read every single name of all the children that died in the Holocaust Museum. I just wanted to show you that because it was moving, all right? It was moving. In 2 Samuel chapter 5, verses 6 and 7, the Bible talks about David going into the Jebusite city and taking it over. That Jebusite city would become the city of Jerusalem. The stones that you're looking at here, they say possibly, possibly go back even to David's time. Perhaps these are walls that would have been around that old city of Jebus that that, uh, David eventually would conquer and take over. So I just wanted to show you some of the pictures of this this wall and uh, some of what it looked like. Now here's something else for you to research on your own. I'll give you some scripture references to get you going. 2 Chronicles chapter 32. If you have never looked into this, you should do this. This was something I didn't know a lot about before we went. Hezekiah's Tunnel. I'll give you the brief, all right? Hezekiah has watched the army of Assyria come in from the north. He has watched Sennacherib and that army come in and conquer their brethren up to the north. And now they're on the march toward Jerusalem. And in order to stave them off, in order to survive, you have to have water. And so Hezekiah understands we have to, we have to protect our water. Well, the only water source was the Gihon Spring outside of the city wall. Once they stop up the water supply, if you get out there, you can't go out there, you're not going to survive. And so Hezekiah puts in place the building of, his, of a tunnel. They named it Hezekiah's Tunnel. It's 1,750 feet long. It's about a third of a mile. And it, it winds. It's not straight. And what they found was an inscription in the middle of where the pickaxers came together. So what I'm saying is, one started at one end, and another group started at the other end, and they met in the middle. How? How they do that? It's amazing, okay? They met in the middle. And, uh, and so you have Hezekiah's tunnel, and you can walk through Hezekiah's tunnel. So here we are walking down. I told you it's a third of a mile And yet, here's their, you think you're so smart? Think about these people and how smart they were. You know what the elevation change is from the beginning to the end? You got to have water and you got to get it running downhill. You know what the elevation change is? 11 inches from top to bottom. It only dropped 11 inches and they got it all running downhill. It's a fascinating thing. So here we are walking down into Hezekiah's tunnel. You had to watch your head in a few places Some people found that out the hard way. If I ever go back, I think I'll wear a hard hat. (laughs) But but it was fascinating. And you're standing in water. I'll show you how much here in just a minute. So we've taken our, uh, we've got zipper pants. And so we've taken those off. So now we're wearing shorts. And we're walking through this tunnel. And we're walking through as a group. Not everybody in the group. Maybe 15 of us did it. Uh, About half of the group. And we sang. We sang hymns all the way through. And you're singing in a tunnel. I mean, it was beautiful. Uh, and it was dark. 
very, very dark. Thankfully, Evan had a headlamp, and so uh, we walked with his light. But, uh, but here we are. Some place is pretty narrow. You've got to kind of wind your way through. Uh, it's not for everybody, but I'm so glad that we did it. So here's this inscription that you find in the middle. You are standing at a place where the Shiloh inscription written approximately 2,700 years ago. Unbelievable, right? During the reign of King Hezekiah was discovered. Pretty amazing. All right, so Hezekiah's tunnel. Here we are climbing out of Hezekiah's tunnel. And yet right over here, the water is going to continue to flow out of Hezekiah's tunnel. And eventually it's going to empty into the pool of Siloam. Think John 9. Think Jesus finding the man who had been born blind and anointing his eyes and telling him to go wash in the pool of Siloam. There's the pool of Siloam, and there is how deep the water was at times in Hezekiah's tunnel. That's Brother Glenn Colley, and that's a dark line on his pants right there. And so it got deep. It got deep at times. We walked out of there somewhat wet, but uh, Brother Colley also found a hole, and so that did him no favors. So uh, standing in the pool of Siloam. All right, I'm winding up now. You've been very kind and patient with me, and I appreciate you for it. I want to stop tonight by, t- when I, by getting to the temple. I'm not saying I'm running out of pictures, but I'm, I'm getting closer. But I'm stopping at the temple. Here's, here's a rendition of, of, of the temple. This would have been Herod's temple. I am told that these columns here on this side of the temple, which would have been the southern side, it would take three grown men to wrap their arms around one of those columns. This place is huge. I'm telling you it's big. I've given you some, some interesting facts there, maybe it's some things you already know. But this wall right here is the wall I want you to think about. You've heard it called perhaps the Wailing Wall, the Western Wall. It is the Western Wall, and that's the best thing to call it. This is what it might have looked like in the days of Jesus. This, this arch st- stairway is not there right now, but up here on the side of the Western Wall, you can see remnants of where that arch was. Pretty cool. Right? You're going back 2,000 years. Herod's temple was built around 19 B.C. And uh, I'll have more pictures for you next week. But you can fit 26 NFL-sized football fields inside the temple complex. It is not small. It is ginormous. Now, what we saw, and I'm talking about the Western Wall, all of this is basically, you're not going to find it. You're not going to see it. This is all Arab neighborhood. Over here, though, this is where you see the Western Wall. Here's Shvika telling us about the Western Wall and how much of it we actually can see today. Okay? This is that archway, by the way, that I was talking about, that Jesus very, very likely walked up and into the temple through that entrance right there. So here's the Western Wall. We went there at night, uh, Saturday night, before we left Jerusalem the next day. And uh, it was Sabbath, and Sabbath was getting over now at night, and so a lot of Jews were coming back out. But there are Jews all day, every day at the Western Wall. And here's a, getting a little bit closer to the Western Wall. These stones down here at the bottom are Herodian stones. I'm telling you, that goes back to the time of Herod. Those are stones that Jesus would have seen, all right? Now, it's going to be destroyed in AD 70, and it's going to have to be rebuilt later on. And so you, you've got a different time period here and a different time period here. 
But these down here at the bottom are Herodian stone. Getting closer to the Wailing Wall, it was just fascinating to watch and to see all of those people. Here you are getting a little bit closer even, and you see these white things right here and here and all the way along in every crack. Prayers. Prayers that the Jews have written out and they've stuffed into that wall. What's so significant about the Western Wall? To a Jew, that's the closest you can get to where the most holy place would have been. And so that was where the presence of God was. And so to a Jew, that's where I have to get. I want to be at the Western Wall. That's as close as they feel they can get to God. And so, again, you're watching it. However, you can take a tour. You have to pay for this, and it was part of our, what we did. You can take a tour, and you can go down into a tunnel system, down, and, and we're walking. The boys right here are walking next to the Western Wall underground, right? We're way down now, walking through these tunnels next to the Western Wall. Down there, there is actually one piece of bedrock. Bedrock. We've hit it. And this stone, they say, was a single stone weighing well over 500 ton. Huge, right? Bedrock. How do I know it's Herodian stone? You see this cutout on all these stones? Herod left a signature. Every stone that you see like that, it's Herod. It's Herod's day, all right? Herod the Great. And uh, that was his signature. So you see stone like that, you're like, that's Herodian stone. That's the days of Herod, going back to the days prior to Jesus. Down there in that tunnel, you can actually get the closest you can be to where the holy, most holy place would have been. And so that's what that placard represents. This is Julie standing on a first century street. Now, what happens over time? And we're talking centuries, right? We're talking 2,000 years since the days of Jesus. What happens? Well, you knock something down, and then you build on top of it. You knock something down, and you build on top of it. You knock it down, and you build on top of it. So if you want to find something old, you got to dig down. Well, that's where we went. We went down, and we found a first century street. I'm, I'm, I'm really getting close, I promise. But boy, there's so much I want to say. This is the southern wall of the temple. All right, this is the southern wall. Adam... You walk through the the Holocaust Museum and you say that was emotional, and it was, yes. Did you ever get emotional again? Yes. Let me show you where. Where you were looking with all those Jews and stuffing all those prayers is just on right over here. This is all Western Wall. On this part of the Western Wall, they've done some excavation. In fact, they believe that this right here is a first century street. And at the end of that street are these rocks all piled up. Where do you suppose those rocks came from? A.D. 70, the destruction of the temple. They just left them. They're right there. So they knocked those. Those are, wall, those are rocks that more than likely came down when the temple was destroyed in A.D. 70. On the southern wall of the temple, you had a gate with two openings here and another gate with three openings here. Again, it is likely that the Lord would have walked in up these steps and into one of these entrances uh, into the temple itself. You can still see the cutout of where those arches would have been in the days of Christ. And you can go up there 
and you can walk on stone like this, which they say is first century stone. So you're, you're standing, they would tell you, they can't say for sure, but it's very possible the Lord walked there. The Lord stood on those steps. It's possible that he did. I'm not saying that he did, but it's possible that he did. These, my friends, are the southern steps. Adam, did you become emotional more than once? But I did on these steps. These steps could very well be where Peter and the apostles stood and preached the first gospel sermon in Acts 2. Very likely, these are the teaching steps, they call them, the southern steps. Here's a little closer view, and what I want you to notice is that there's a short step, and then there's a long step. Two short steps, and a long step. And they would say, the tradition is that the Jews, as they were going up to worship in the temple, they would take those two steps, and when they got to that long step, they would pause. How many pauses are there? Fifteen. Why fifteen? Because there are fifteen psalms of ascent. Psalms 120 through 134. Psalms of ascent. And they said as they were approaching into the temple, into the presence of God, they would stop and they would recite a psalm. Possibly that's right. Something interesting to think about as they were approaching God and worshiping Him. I wonder how much thought I gave to worshiping God tonight. How much thought did I give on the way here to how I was going to worship and getting my mind right? What were we thinking about as we approached an opportunity to worship God? Well, I think there's a lesson there in those steps. And on those steps is a group of Christians. A group of Christians. And if that is where the church started, where the first gospel sermon was preached, those are Gentiles standing, potentially, where that sermon was preached. That was moving. All of the men in the group read, take, took turns reading from Acts 2, and we recited Peter's sermon on the southern steps. It was really, really amazing. Here's some excavation going on just down below those southern steps. They say these walls potentially do go back to the days even of Solomon. Isn't that amazing to think about? That, that you're looking at so old, so much history right there. I show you this picture because we're looking down at what they say is potentially Solomon's bakery. So, there's a baker in Solomon's bakery. There she is. I have this slide and one more and then I'm done. My question has been through the years, maybe it's been yours too, if... If the sermon is preached in Acts 2 and they're told in verse 38 to repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sin and you're living in a desolate place where it doesn't seem there's a lot of water, how do you baptize all those people? You've got 3,000 who respond to the invitation that day. How do you baptize all those people? This helped me and maybe it will help you. The Jews were big on immersion. They had these pools called mikvahs all over the place. Uh, Below the southern steps, into the old city, everywhere were these old mikvahs, these old washing places where you would literally 
find steps going down into this place that would hold water, and they would ritually go through a cleansing process. They would go down, they would dip, and they would come back up, and then they would go into the temple. So they were ritually cleansing themselves as they went into the temple. So you tell them that they need to be baptized for the forgiveness of their sins. That's not such a leap in their mind. They need to be clean. They need to be washed in the blood of Jesus. Here's a sign, and you can read the top of it, right? Rules for immersion. They weren't dipping. Or, I'm sorry, they weren't uh, sprinkling, pouring. They were immersing. They understood it. And these mikvahs were all over the place. Here's one where we stood. You think there's a, enough room to baptize a few people if that thing's full of water? Yeah. Yeah, you can baptize a few people in that one. That's about the largest one that we saw. They ranged in sizes. Some of them weren't very big, much bigger than you could get one person in. But that's our family standing in one of these mikvahs that would have been full of water. And this one was a really nice one that even had a covering over it, a roof over it. What I'm telling you is there was ample space and uh, all of the resources necessary to baptize a lot of people. And I think that's exactly what they did in Acts 2 when 3,000 obeyed the gospel. My friends, I don't know how you found this tonight. I don't know what you were expecting. I don't know how you feel about it. But what I want you to see is that, that God is so great. And what he said is true. And what we find in this Bible, what we find in this book, everything backs it up. Archaeologically speaking, Nothing disagrees with what we find in the Scriptures. Everything that is there, we saw. It was there just the way the Bible describes it. And you can dig down and you can find the evidence for what you're reading in your Bible. And it brings it to life. It really helped. This is necessary for salvation. The gospel was preached in Jerusalem in Acts chapter 2. And tonight, if you've not obeyed the gospel, then you have an opportunity to do just that. You have a great God who loves you and wants nothing more than to have a relationship with you. He's given us all the evidence, all the proof that we need to know Him and who He is. And tonight, you can have a right relationship with Him. Next Sunday, I'm planning to be more Jesus-heavy. Tonight was Old Testament and with a little new. Next week, it's going to be the opposite. New Testament with some old mixed in. We're going to walk through Jerusalem next Sunday with the Lord. And, uh, and I hope you'll, you'll be able to, to see that as we do. But tonight as we, as we close, I appreciate your patience with me as I go through these pictures. But I want you to know tonight that you can be saved if you're lost. I want you to know that you can come to Christ tonight and you can obey what the Bible tells you to do in order to be saved. Tonight, if you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and you're ready to make that confession... If you're prepared tonight to repent of sin in your life, if you're ready tonight to be immersed in the waters of baptism, you can leave here in a saved condition because of Jesus and the blood He shed for you and your obedience to Him. Tonight, if you have a need, if we can help you in any way, then please come while together we stand.